zooming in on Beijing's threat. So I think every American should be worried about it, if not for themselves, their, their children. Um, it's the insidious nature of it was we wrote the China Declaration based upon the Declaration of Independence. We uh, detailed the transgressions China has done against the Chinese people and against outside countries. And we asked one simple question, do you believe the Chinese Communist Party must be defeated? We sat down with Brad Good to hear about his project, the China Declaration, a global push to end the Chinese Communist Party, and about his first-hand experiences in China over the past decades as an American businessman who speaks fluent Mandarin. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Today, we sit down with Brad Good to hear about his own experiences in China from 1988 until last May as an American businessman who speaks fluent Mandarin. And his latest project, the China Declaration, a global push to end the Chinese Communist Party. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. So there's a lot of talk about the China threat from all sectors of society, but I want to start with your own story, because you've actually been in China for many years. You speak the language. I think as early back as 1988 you were there. So tell us about why you went there. After graduating Berkeley and being the only white person studying Chinese at the university, I got fascinated with China. So I decided to go to Hong Kong, landed a job with a company called Jardine Matheson that used to trade opium. And after that, before going to business school, I decided to live with a family in Beijing. This was 1988. It is illegal to live with a Chinese family at that time. And so they had four, one foreigner, they had a dog, they had a monkey, and they had fish. And I got to experience their life, which was hot water, one night a week, and the electricity would go off every night at nine o'clock. It was very much like North Korea at that time. And you mentioned earlier how it was like illegal to have a foreigner living with them. So <laughs> how did that work out in that case? It's a good question. So in my particular case, the head of the household worked for an Italian company. And because of that, he had an Italian passport. And I remember going down and registering with him at the local police station and he bribed the, the police officer to approve my certificate to stay. Now that was in 1988. When I go to China now and I go to a hotel, the hotel registers for me automatically with the police. It's the law. If I go and I stay at an Airbnb, I have to go to the police station and register. So every month you need to go back. Or if you go out, out of town, you need to go register again. It's, they track everyone. You assume, I assume, that I'm being tracked and listened to all the time. And what was that like, knowing that your every move or thing was being followed and tracked? You just, you just make sure you're not stupid. Wow, so what made you want to go to China though? Was it just the culture or what was it? At that time it was I needed to strengthen my language skills and get to know the culture, um, get to know the people, um, and I succeeded. <laughs> uh, 
then I went to graduate school at the University of Chicago where I got an MBA and a master's in East Asian studies. Landed again in Hong Kong working with the consulting companies, Booz Allen, A.D. Carney, helping a major fund invest in China. So I had to travel throughout China and analyze these companies and use my Chinese um, to understand the environment from a competitive uh, standpoint. On that note about the Communist Party and how the Chinese people view it, because you speak Mandarin, were able to really speak with the people directly, what did you find out about how they viewed the party throughout the years you were there? I think at that time, I didn't even talk about the party. But through their actions and sort of the subtleties of what they say, uh, you can learn a lot. And being outside of the city center and talking with someone one night over drinks, and asking, how's it like out here, you know, in this city that's away? Um, he said a very interesting phrase in Chinese, which is, Tian Gao Huang Di Yuan, which means, heaven is high, the emperor is far away. Meaning, they have more freedom because they're further away from the center of, uh, of the uh, major control. But they know that the Communist Party's there, and they're brainwashed by things that are put out by the Communist Party, very intentionally put out on the news and through everyday education. And with all yeah. these different areas, and with your years having spent, having spent in China, what were some of the moments that really stood out to you? It's more about the character of Chinese. I'll give you an example. One time, in Shanghai on the Bund. I was at a business meeting not too long ago in a building called the Roosevelt Building, gorgeous building, there's a history behind it, on the third floor in a private room, smoking a cigar, drinking a whiskey, and um, with a friend and his boss, and we're talking about real estate investment, and there's some other people there. And there's sort of a shorter guy. You can tell he's born from an older generation because China had a lot of shorter people who didn't have as much nutrition. And drinking him, enjoying myself, and he goes, he goes in Chinese, he goes, how come you gave fad to South Korea? And I must confess, my Chinese, when he said it in Chinese, I did not know what fad was. Thermal, high altitude, area defense, I didn't know. I looked at my friend, he was like, it's just, I didn't understand why he was asking the question. And, and I'm like, I, so I kept just drinking and smoking. And he asked it again. And it, it's very impolite. And I, I, I looked at him, I said, I didn't sell. <laughs> I didn't sell that to, to South Korea. I said, you know, wanted to help protect them from North Korean missiles. And, and he scoffed, he's like, <laughs> and I looked at him, I go, I go, look, if it weren't for America, you might be speaking Japanese right now, okay? It, they listen to the news that China puts out and they're lacking in objectivity so much, you know, to, to confuse me with the United States. And that's common, you know? I mean, another illustration is is me having a discussion with an educated Chinese individual 
And I'm like, fentanyl's got to stop. And they're like, well, fentanyl's Mexico's problem and it's America's problem, mistake. You know, you're responsible. I'm like, well, what about the opium? And they're like, oh, the opium was evil in England. It was horrible. <laughs> they, they, there's not a meeting of minds when it comes to those issues, right? With a certain s segment of the population in China, the zealots that believe everything that the government says, um, that's, that's a big problem. You cannot convince them. It's not worth having the conversation. And given, say, the animosity between the Chinese regime and Japan especially, how was your comment received? Complete denial because he doesn't understand the role that America played in, in dealing with Japan. I mean, they don't actively celebrate that in China. So. On that note, I want to talk about you have this thing called the China Declaration. I'm going to let you explain what exactly that is, but kind of tell us the story behind it. The story behind that is across the world, there's a, a huge number of people who, are, um, who look at China unfavorably. If you go to Australia, there's about it's about 86% of the population. If you go to Japan, it's 87%. In the United States, it's 82%. It's a huge number of people. And so what we did was we wrote the China Declaration based upon the Declaration of Independence. We uh, detailed the transgressions China has done against the Chinese people and against outside countries. And we ask one simple question. Do you believe the Chinese Communist Party must be defeated? Please sign. Okay, so the whole point is we're gonna get, we're starting to involve victim groups. So the people that have been affected by the fentanyl, organ transplant and so forth, because they're very passionate. There's huge problems, they agree to create a mass, huge mass of people who've signed this agreement so that then we can develop strategic initiatives to have a big impact, okay? Because the, the policy and the laws that are now being formed are not having an impact. And so when I say strategic initiatives, I mean things like close all the U.S. embassies in China, do it. And there's a bunch of reasons why. And while you're at it, close the, the Chinese embassies in America. There's a whole bunch of reasons. Sanction and blacklist uh, the 2,300 uh, national Congress members and their families. Let's find out where the money is. It's things like that to have a substantial impact on China. And that's really missing right now anywhere in the world. And we're doing this globally with country, different countries, not just America. But given the, the things that we've heard amongst lawmakers, we don't think they're ever gonna get close to having an impact on China. And so we have to step in. And we're hoping that people will go to thechinadeclaration.com and sign. And so how do you differentiate between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people? Because it seems in the past when certain lawmakers want to take stances against, say, the Chinese regime, the Chinese regime's mouthpieces will be like, oh, that's hurting the Chinese people. How do you separate that? So if you sanction, you could sanction the standing committee, which is seven people, 
the Politburo that's that's 24 people, the uh, you know Central Committee that's 340 people, or you could do the the National Congress that's 2,300, or you could do the mass of the the Communist Party, uh, which is what it's 94.7 million people. That would be hitting people who are involved and they really don't know what they're doing. But we need to send a message to all, everyone, get out of the party. Coming up, a closer look at a project called the China Declaration, aiming to end the Chinese Communist Party. I think every American should be worried about it, if not for themselves, their, their children. Um, it's the insidious nature of it. We spoke to the project's founder, Brad Good, about the means to reach that goal and about his first-hand experiences in China from 1988 through last May as an American businessman who speaks fluent Mandarin. We're on his story in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The China Declaration Project aims to end the Chinese Communist Party. But how does it plan to reach that goal? And what are the key factors in play? Here's more from Brad Good, the project's founder, on the details. The hope with the China Declaration is that it can help all the independent cause-related groups unify and help overcome the challenges faced in Washington, D.C. by the lobbying groups and big companies that resisted to have a direct impact on legislation throughout the world. And so um, when I say blacklist, that's a pretty big deal. You know, Should we do sovereign immunity? Should we push this as an initiative? Right? A lot of people, it's like, oh, Wuhan, because of that sovereign immunity. I don't know if I agree. America invested in Wuhan. America did poor due diligence. China, as of three years ago, four years ago, could not manufacture a ballpoint pen or, or copy Viagra. And you want to give them money to do this high tech. So America, there's, there's definitely negligence if America invested. Um, and then China, of course, you know, could have done a lot better, and there's negligence there. But where I see the real negligence and where you know, other things, you said what should be done is one of the things that should be considered is the sovereign immunity taken away for damages related to fentanyl. So when a family's kid dies, and if we can track, the CIA can track that fentanyl is from China, then you get Congress to remove the, the restriction and allow people to conduct lawsuits. And it should be done now, but they're not doing it, right? CIA has that information. You disclose it, you can act or not, right? Say, say they don't have it, right? Oh, the fentanyl's from someplace else? They must know. I mean, this is such a, so absurd. They've, they've got to get going, and they're not. That's why we're gonna do it. But we're gonna do it systematically so that we achieve our strategic objective, which is to defeat the CCP. In terms of the fentanyl, it seems one area that's kind of stopping us recently is, say, the side from the Chinese regime. So in recent talks between President Biden and Xi Jinping, fentanyl didn't come up. So how much of that 
is on China's side. It seems, you know, China knows who's providing the fentanyl. How much is it the Chinese communist regime's side? Well, I mean, we know where it comes from, and we know that um, America, uh, America's leaders talking about the environment and not fentanyl. And that's why the China Declaration's mission is really vital, because it's not time to have any more conversations. It's time to execute well-aligned strategic initiatives that have a huge impact. Agreements with China do not work. It never has. I mean, World Trade Organization agreement, China violated. The Sino-British Declaration, they violated. The recent economic agreement that Trump did, they violated. I don't do agreements with China. This is common sense. Young children understand this, okay? But America seems not to be at that stage yet, okay? It needs help. Western countries need assistance. And we're gonna provide it, whether they like it or not. On the point of why the U.S. doesn't seem to be taking those actions, how much does the money side play into that? There's lots of economic deals between the two countries. How much do you see money being one of the issues? I think it's a confluence of, of, of everything, you know. But I, I think money is the, the key driver. I mean, in America, there's athletes that can call out America when there's a racial issue. But when there's a human rights issue in China, they don't call out China. And that's, and the fans should stand up and say this is hypocritical, right? Um, and that's why we're gonna try and take control of the, the, the dialogue uh, because these sorts of things need to be amplified. Aware, awareness needs to be massively increased globally uh, on the hypocrisy. Um, it can't continue because we're going nowhere. So given that, how important is the China Declaration and what it's doing to every American, not just every American, but really everyone? Uh, China constitutes a massive threat militarily, economically, socially. Um, and I think people see only one part of it. And looking at what they've done in the past is it's a, it's a reflection of what they're going to do in the future. Um, and so I think every American should be worried about it, if not for themselves, their, their children. Um, it's the insidious nature of it. I mean, even the Chinese, Chinese companies or the government, when I was in China, wanted me to write articles demeaning an American politician. Okay? They wanted to give me money to do that. And I'm like, no, are you kidding? Okay, but there's a lot of people in America that say yes. And while I was in China, I contacted the CIA. I said, FYI. Uh, they never got back to me. It's okay. But if they didn't do anything about it, I'd like them to check and see, did you get a message from Brad Good about this problem? And if they, no one knows about it, you know, that, that's a problem. The CIA knows, should know everything about that. But you know what? The CIA never told the America that there was an airplane full of people flying from Wuhan. Don't let them in, turn it around. How come the CIA didn't know everything? That's why, forget these embassies. These guys have done, what have they done? They've done nothing. 
Well, it seems on that point, in, in terms of a lot of areas, the American side also has its own fault, whether it's funneling money in or all of that. So what can America do on our own side to really help? I think it's the strategic initiatives. I think we want to always be supportive of free enterprise. Uh, you know, you could consider a security tax on companies operating in China um, because there always is that concern if they're going to do that, that um, there's the extra security that's added. That's something that we're talking about internally that would be paid back. And that would, it would also discourage people from investing in, in, in China. From some business perspectives, it be, they might be like, oh, well, if we don't do business in China, someone else will and get that cheap labor and then run us out of business. So from a business perspective, what would you tell, what would you advise businesses to do? I talk to businesses that are in China and some leaders of businesses. And what they've been doing is diversifying their manufacturing base outside of China because they're at risk if their products all come from China and customers don't want products from China, then they're at risk. And so um, it's the companies that need to pay attention to that risk. And um, in the China Declaration, we may have an area for those companies who agree with the China Declaration and those who don't agree. And with everything we've covered, any last words? No, just go to thechinadeclaration.com, read the declaration, and sign it if you agree. Brad Good, thank you so much for joining us. Great thank to have you. you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus.ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.